still on me It's lonely in the flames when you're counting days of just been through that fire not so very long ago and looking back I can't see why and that my God was in control but on the hottest days I cried Oh, Lord, isn't it about time? But the potter knows the clay, how much pressure I can take, how many times around the so much well uh, I feel sad that this is the last message we'll have in our conference Brother Clark's done a wonderful job challenging us through God's word and uh, I'm glad that he brought his wife April uh, I met her years ago at Dr. Noe's but my wife and I have got an opportunity to get to know her very uh, very sweet Christian woman we appreciate her her ministry there and so I just love Brother Charlie he's what he is and he's that way all the time and he's sincere and loves people and and uh, he's been encouragement to me through the years I'm, I'm glad that he's come our way 
And again, church, you know I'm not this way about applauding and all that, but when a man has been faithful and he's still faithful, I want to honor him. So let's just give him a, a hand for coming tonight and preaching to us, all right? All right, it's good to be here tonight, good to be in church. A lot better than being in the hospital. Better than being in jail, amen? Second Samuel chapter 19, if you'll turn in the Word of God. It's kind of scary with this wedding ring. I hope that wasn't because I'm a messy today. So somebody decided to throw their wedding ring away or something. I don't know. I might not preach that message again. But... Uh, it's good, really, really good to be saved, and I'm glad to be up here and visit you folks and be with the preacher, and we've enjoyed our, our time here with you. Um, I was praying. I just felt like I was getting sick, and I started praying around Monday really hard that I wouldn't get sick, and man, Wednesday and Thursday, I was really getting worse and worse, and then on top of that, I got a bad toothache. And uh, I didn't have time to go to the dentist before I left. And, but anyway, the Lord worked it all out. And uh, I feel good. And uh, I was able to preach. And I really thank the Lord for that, that, that God helped me. So in 2 Samuel chapter number 18, and uh, verse number 29, <clears throat> Jack Kyles used to go all around the country preaching a message, is the young man safe? And I'm not the kind of pulpiteer that he was, but uh, in verse 29, the king said, talking about David, is the young man Absalom safe? Now, Absalom had rebelled against David, you know the story, and Absalom had stolen the heart of the people and tried to steal the kingdom away from David. And here's David's own flesh and blood, his own son. And he's turned on his dad. And down in verse 32, the king said to Cushai, he's the messenger, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. Now Absalom had gotten his hair caught in the tree. And he was hanging from a tree. Brother Roloff used to preach a message the day God hung a hippie. And uh, that was back when the long hair was in, you know. And uh, Joab had come along and taken three darts and put them into Absalom's heart. And, uh, you know, later on when David's ready to die and he's instructing Solomon, he makes sure that Solomon takes care of Joab. And I think some of that was a grudge that David had held against Joab for killing his son. So here's what he says. Is the young man safe? And the young man's not safe. The young man's dead. And it's sad to say, but David waited until it was too late. He waited until it was too late. I'm not going to preach about Absalom tonight. I'm not going to rehearse the whole story. But David had years to 
get things straightened out, get things settled with Absalom. And he never did it. And he waited until it was too late. So I want to preach a short message tonight. And my subject is, is your family safe? Is your family safe? Let's pray to the Lord. Father, I pray you'll bless the message. Lord, I pray that it will help us and encourage us and motivate us, Lord. Father, I pray for every mom, every dad, every person here tonight, Lord, that we'll get something out of this, will help us in our homes, with our family, especially with our children. Lord, we pray for your blessing. Lord, I pray you bless this congregation. I pray you bless them for their faithfulness, and I pray you bless the pastor and his family. And bless the word of God tonight, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter number 21. You know, we do everything to keep our family safe. People have these child seat, safety seats, the, the baby seats. When we had our children, we didn't have those things. We had this little thing with no straps on it. And I remember putting my son, Charlie, in the seat next to me. And he's 49 now, so it's probably 48 years ago. I got right down the end of the street from our house. I hit the brakes and boom, he went right on the floor. So I picked him back up, put him back on the seat, made the turn, stopped the light, boom, he went on the floor again. <laughs> you lock your doors at night. You make sure before you go to bed the doors are locked. Maybe you have one of those motion lights on. And we uh, take your vitamins, try to take care of everybody's health. And we do everything we can to make sure that our family is saved. But I want you to look at Proverbs 21:31. says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. We do everything we can do, and that's the way we should. We should do everything we can to keep ourselves safe, to keep our family safe. When it really comes down to it, safety is of the Lord. Safety is of the Lord. Now, safety starts with salvation. If a person is not saved, if you're not saved, if your children are not saved, they're not safe. They're in danger of eternal hellfire. So the first thing that we need to be concerned about with our family, with our children, is their salvation. In Luke 19, verse 9 and 10, I'm not going to turn to it, but you know the story of how Jesus comes and Zacchaeus sing that little song. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus in those verses in Luke 19, here's what he says. He says, this day, is salvation come to this house. Man, I love to read that. I love, I love that story just because of that verse. Because it reminds me of when Jesus came to our house. I remember, and I won't get into all the details I talked about this morning, but God saving my Catholic wife and God saving me. And then one by one, God saving our children. What a, what a blessing. What, a, what the grace of God, the amazing grace 
when the Lord comes to the house and when people get saved and when the whole family's saved. Remember what they told the uh, Philippian jailer? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in the house. And then they went and they preached the word to everybody in the house and everybody, all the, the Philippian jailer and Mrs. Jailer and all the little jailers all got saved and baptized. And what a, what a wonderful day. So the first thing we need to be safe is we need salvation. Now, I can't save anybody. Paul said this. He said, one sows and one waters and God gives the increase. So I can't save my kids, but I know this. The Bible also says, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when our children were little, when our children were young, I, you know, I, you talk about the grace of God. I thank God that we got saved when our kids were still little. I, I have friends that got saved later on after the children were already grown. And they, and they couldn't undo what had already been done. You know, most people get saved before they're 18. And out of that group, most of them get saved by the time they're 13. We, we, we somehow, maybe you don't, but a lot of times I do, we think somehow that adults are more important than kids. But when it comes to salvation, the children are the mission field. They're the ones that we need to reach while their hearts are still tender. You know, I, I, used, to, I, was, I used to be a construction worker. I, was a, I started when I was in high school doing drywall. And uh, I'm, I'm, we just got done remodeling a house, and I built a church and a couple houses. And you know, when you get concrete, you get that concrete truck there, and, and you pour that concrete, you can, you can put the date in it, you can put your name in it. That concrete is very impressionable. It's very soft, and you can move it and do stuff with it. But you know what? Once it sets up, once it gets hard, that's a different story. So as parents, we have a window of opportunity with our children to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And put them in that place where they're going to get saved. When we got saved, from the day we got saved, we never missed a meeting. Never missed a service. I'm not saying I never missed one meeting. I had some strokes. I was in the hospital one Sunday. But, I mean, we didn't stay home on purpose. Uh, my son, I talked about him getting saved, I think, last night with the men. But it was during a week, a, a revival meeting. Our pastor was crazy about revival meetings. One year... We had three revival meetings from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I mean, like almost every week. I mean, you haven't had a revival until you have a Christmas week revival. I mean, it was, we were there. We were there. One time, we had some kids going back to college, and they had to have a service or they would get in trouble. So I said, well, we're going to have a service. I think it was 3.30 in the morning. And I showed up to church. I forgot I'd only be, be the only one there. There was probably about 20 cars in the parking lot. You say, why did they come that time? Because they were faithful. But you don't want to miss a service because that may be the service when the Lord shows up. That may be the service when the Holy Ghost does something. I would never, listen, if I had young children, I would never let them miss a service because you don't know when and where God's going to work in their hearts. So, I want to look in Job and talk about this idea of safety. 
Job chapter number one. And uh, the Lord said to Satan, verse number eight, Has thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. You know, I'd like to think I'm like Job, not because of his suffering, but here's a man that God could brag on. I preach a message sometime, can God brag on you? And I'm afraid most of us would fall far short of Job. And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him? And about his house? And about all that he has on every side? So here's the devil, and he's acquainted with Job. Another message I preach is, does the devil know who you are? Remember the seven sons of Sceva? They were going to cast out a devil. And that devil said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? And they, those guys, the devil beat them to death. So Job says, I know, uh, the devil says, Satan says, I know who Job is. I know all about Job. And the devil had already tried to get to him. He knew who Job was, knew all about him, but he couldn't touch him because there was a hedge around him. There was a hedge around him, a hedge of protection. And I want to preach tonight about putting a hedge around your family, a hedge of protection around your family. The Bible says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, and you know the verse, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. God is real. Jesus is real. And the devil is also real. And the Bible says that the devil is our adversary. We have an adversary. And he's walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you thought there was a real lion out here roaring and it was going to eat you when you went out to get in your car, that wouldn't do something to you. You'd be pretty sober and pretty vigilant. But somehow we just kind of brush the devil off like he isn't real. Can I tell you something? If anybody in the world's a target, it ought to be Bible-believing Christians. And if the devil's going to target anybody, he'd target the kids. We talk about how the preachers are a target, and I believe that, but I believe the children are a target. And the devil, I hate to say this, but the devil's after your kids. Look what's going on in the world today. Look, at, I, when I grew up, I didn't have anywhere near the temptation young people have today. I mean, sin was still there, but they've invented a lot more ways to sin now. And I thank God a lot of the stuff that's around now wasn't around when I was a young person. Because I don't know what would have happened. I don't know where I'd be. Look over in Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. I want to talk about the first hedge that you need to put around your family. 
the first and the foremost. Safety starts with prayer. Now that's not something new to you, I'm sure. But I hope it would be a reminder. I hope it would be a reinforcement how important prayer is. Look what it says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Hey, this is real stuff. This isn't imaginary. This isn't television. This isn't the movies. This is real life. And here's the Lord. He says, Simon, you know what? The devil's after you. The devil desires to have you. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to wreck your testimony. He says that he may sift you as wheat to put you through the strainer. To put you through the strainer. To sift you like wheat. And then he says this, but I have prayed for thee. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Hey, Peter, the devil's at you, but guess what? I prayed for you. You know, right now, the Lord is praying for us. You ever think about that? He ever liveth to make intercession for us? Do we have a great high priest that's entered into the heavens and he's praying for us? It's a great comfort to me to know that all over the country people pray for me. I have people text me on Sunday morning. I get all kind of texts. We're praying for you. I don't even know who these people are. But I, I, I look to see if those texts are there. I want those people praying for me. I appreciate, I appreciate their prayers. I never, my, listen, my kids, I don't think in their whole life, have ever got up in the morning and went to school or went to work that I haven't prayed for them. Now, I'm not coming across like Mr. Prayer Warrior, but I, I'm telling you this, I pray for my family. I would be scared to death to leave the house if I hadn't prayed for my family. Sometimes I'll wake up later, I'll forget a meeting or something, and I'm really in a hurry, and I'm still, listen, I'm still not going to leave the house without praying for my family. I want to make sure that that prayer, that hedge of prayer is around my family. Look over in Genesis chapter 19 with me. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. In Genesis chapter 19, you know the story about Lot. He's down in Sodom and God's going to destroy the city. Lot is a picture of a Christian that's not separated. He's, he's, if we didn't know in the New Testament that he was saved, we wouldn't believe it. The Bible says God vexed his, uh, Lot vexed his righteous soul. But he's a picture of an unseparated Christian. He's in the world. And then Abraham, he's a picture of a godly man, and he's not. He doesn't go down to Sodom. There's no altar in Sodom. Abraham's a builder of altars. But down in Sodom, listen, you, 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 can't, you can worship God and you can live in the world, but you can't live in the world and worship God. So here's Lot, and God's going to destroy the city, 
And he's told Abraham about it. And Abraham got up early in the morning, Genesis 19, 27, to the place. He got up to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain. And the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities. Think about this. Here's Lot, and because he's living in the world, he's living in Sodom, he loses his family. He's saved by fire. His soul was saved, but there's, there's nothing else. Here's Abraham, and Abraham walks with God. God appeared to him. He said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And here's Abraham, and he is interceding for Lot. He is praying for Lot. And the Bible says God remembered Abraham, not Lot. And he delivered Lot. Why did he do that for Abraham's sake? Here's what Ephesians 4.32 says. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Listen, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Wow. Isn't that great? You don't deserve to be saved. You're, you don't deserve to be saved. And I don't deserve to be saved. But God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Now think about this. Here's Abraham. And he does not wait for the crisis to come. He doesn't wait until there's an emergency to try to get a hold of God. The Bible says he got up early in the morning and he went to the place where he stood before the Lord. He didn't just stand before the Lord when the ambulance was taking somebody to the hospital. He didn't just stand before the Lord when they found out it was cancer. But here was a man of God that met with God every day, early in the morning. The first thing, putting God first, putting prayer first. Now, here's my question. Where's your place? If I said, I'm coming to your house tonight, I want you to show me your place. You know, Judas knew where to find Jesus. He knew where to take the soldiers. He knew where Jesus was going to be. Because that Garden of Gethsemane was the Lord's place. That's where he went to pray. That was his prayer place. I have an office like Brother Brown, up in the upstairs. And I just have a big old chair there. And I got two sheepskins there. And that's my place. When I was doing construction, I'd work and it'd be lunchtime. And I'd go out in my pickup truck to get away from all the boom boxes and the cursing and everything. And I would sit there in my truck and that was, that was my place when I was at work. If you don't have a place, you're not a serious prayer. You can pray anywhere. I mean, we can pray anywhere. 
We don't have to come to church to pray. You can, you can pray riding down the street. But I'm talking about really, really, really having a place. I'm talking about serious prayer. The older I get, the longer I'm saved, the more I depend on prayer. I just, I, I mean, I've gotten to a place in my life where I realize I cannot do anything. I, I knew it before, but I really didn't take it serious. I'm still trying to do everything in the flesh in my own power. But realize, and listen, if God doesn't do it, it ain't going to get done. You can get up and preach and preach and, and scream and holler and cry, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't move in there, nobody's going to get saved. And nothing's going to happen. So listen to me. The first hedge we need to put around our family and put around ourselves is a hedge of prayer. James 5.16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. We were down in Tennessee this year. We were down in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. My kids were singing in a couple churches, and we went down there for vacation. And we were coming home. It was raining a little bit. We were in a van. And I just, I just man, I just felt I need to pray. I mean, just, it happens to me a lot of times. But I just thought, man, I need to pray. I need to pray. And I started praying. And it wasn't like two minutes later, we were on an interstate, and a truck came in, and it was supposed to yield. He didn't have a lane. It was a tractor and trailer, 18-wheeler. And we had a car on the left, and we're in the right lane. The car's in the left lane. This truck came in, and, and we're just getting like this. We're just getting squeezed. And to this day, I don't know how we didn't get in a wreck with me and my wife and my son and his, his, my daughter-in-law and the kids. And I say I don't know how we didn't get in a wreck. Physically, I don't know how everything just didn't become chaotic. But I know this. I know it was the Lord. I know God kept us from that. God kept us from that. So we need to pray. We need to put that hedge around our kids. Saturday is my prayer day. And uh, we, we have a lot of people to pray for. We have, we have all kind of people to pray for. And uh, preachers all over the country to pray for. But Saturday is a day that I try to take and, and just get alone with the Lord. Look over in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91... It says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place of the Most High. You you know where that is? Have you been there? Physically, when I pray, I'm up in my office kneeling, But in a sense, when you're praying to the Lord and you're fervently praying, you're in the secret place of the Most High. You're in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is real to you. And I don't know how to describe that any better. But I'm just saying that the best times I've ever had in my life wasn't at tent meetings. I've had great times at tent meetings. 
Uh, we have snow camp starting tomorrow. And I've had great meetings at snow camp. And I've seen meetings where the Lord gets in. Now let me give you something. Praise is loud. You have a tent meeting up here and it probably gets on a little bit. Maybe people get to singing and shouting. Praise is loud. Well, let me say something. Worship is quiet. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. One of the hardest things I do is to be still. It's like you want to do something. You want to call somebody, you want to visit somebody, you want to do something. But there's times when we just need to be still and know that He is God. And you, listen to me, let me urge you, people in this church, to really pray for people and really pray for young people and really pray for your family. I pray for more for my family than anybody else. Because I love my family more than anybody else. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just a natural thing. So number one, is your family safe? It's not safe if you don't have that prayer hedge around them. Look in Ezekiel chapter 22. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 30, and I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. God says, I sought for a man. I preached last night to the men in the church to be spiritual men. We need to be godly men. We need to be holy men. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, I never really understood all about this hedge stuff until I did a funeral for a man that I knew from the time I was a little boy. And he was a paratrooper, and he went in to Normandy on D-Day. And he used to take me hunting when I was a boy, and he used to tell me some stories. I always wanted him to tell me stories. And he said when he was in North Africa and in Normandy, they had hedges that the tanks couldn't get through. The hedges were so thick that they couldn't get through them. Now, in the Bible, what they would do is they would take a big hedge and build this hedge and use that hedge for protection. But you couldn't just sit in the middle of this hedge. You had to have a way to get out. There had to be a gap in the hedge. So there was a way to get in and a way to get out. Now, if you were going to be inside that hedge and you were going to be safe, somebody had to stand in that hedge and stand in that gap and make up that hedge. And that's what this verse is talking about. So, we need this hedge of prayer around us. And secondly, when our family, we need to put a hedge of separation. A hedge of separation. Now listen, this hedge wasn't to keep the people in and make prisoners out of them. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't punishment. It was protection. It was protection. You understand that? This, they, you know, 
We're, we're not trying to make you a prisoner in this, this little tight space. But be sober. Be vigilant. The adversary of the devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There's a real devil out in this world. There's a real Satan. There's real sin. And it destroys people. He says, the, th- he, he says uh, the thief come not, but to kill and destroy. He said, I am come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. So the separation is not for punishment, it's for protection. You've seen the castles, the old medieval castles. And what did the castle have? It had a moat and it had a drawbridge. And when the enemy was coming, they'd bring that drawbridge up and close the door. And hopefully the enemy couldn't get across that moat. That moat was, was separating them. In Bible days, the cities had walls around them. I've been to Jerusalem twice. And Jerusalem has, I don't know how many tons the stones weigh. But they have these huge, huge stones that make up the wall of Jerusalem. Now, the higher the wall, the wider the wall, the stronger the wall, the safer the city. If you did not have, listen, if you did not have that wall to protect you, you were totally vulnerable to the enemy. Do you understand that? You had no protection. You had no safety. That wall was not prison walls. That was walls. In, hey, inside the wall, there was freedom. Inside the wall, you had freedom. Outside the wall, you would have slavery. And we need to realize this and look at this idea of separation uh, in, in the right light. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, the Bible says, Be not unequally yoked together, verse 14, with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness or communion? Uh, hath light with darkness. And then it says, Come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now we're supposed to separate from people and places and practices that would hurt us. We're supposed to separate from people and places and practices that would hurt us. Go over to Genesis chapter number 1. Separation is a doctrine. Do you understand that? It's not something like some old-fashioned preacher thought up or dreamed up or just Baptists are supposed to do. Separation is a Bible doctrine. The word saint means holy ones. It means people that are separated unto God. Uh, Brother Chuck in Sunday school was preaching on sanctification. Listen, separation is being separated from the world, and sanctification is being separated unto God. See, Mormons can separate from the world, and Jehovah Witnesses can separate from the world, but it doesn't make them holy. So separation is twofold. I'm separating from the world, but I'm separating unto the Lord because I belong to the Lord. My wife was a single girl, and I married her for me, to have her 
so nobody else would have her. When God saves us, he saves us for himself. Do you understand that? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. He, saved, he didn't save you to share you with the world. He, didn't, he saved you to make you holy. And the only way you can be holy is to separate from all the things that would keep you from being holy. I mentioned, I guess, last night. I preached so many different times here. But, I mean, back in the 1970s, I got rid of my television. Mr. Clark and I said, we're getting rid of that thing. And it hasn't gotten any better in the last 40 years. And we didn't get rid of it because we were spiritual giants. We got rid of it because I know I'd be watching that stuff, and it'd be pulling me down. And it would keep me from being as close to the Lord as I wanted to be. Listen, it doesn't cost you anything to get saved. But it costs you something to live for God. It costs you something to be a disciple. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what the Bible says? Peter forsook all and followed him. You know, people today don't want to do the forsaking. They want to have one foot in the world, and they want to have one foot in church, and double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. You can be saved and live in the world. But you can't be saved and live in the world and be happy. And you can't be saved and live in the world and be holy. God didn't save you to be happy. He saved you to be holy. But if you separate unto the Lord and you serve the Lord and you love the Lord, you will be happy. Look at Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God made the light. God is light. And we are children of light. And we're supposed to walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now listen, God made the light. He didn't make the darkness, he made the light. You say, what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. We, we're here in this room, and it's light. But as soon as you shut that light off, it's dark. Because darkness is the absence of light. So who made the light? God made the light. And God said the light is good. And what's the first thing he did? He divided the light and the darkness. He divided the light and the darkness. Every New Testament, Genesis is a seedbed of the Bible. Every New Testament doctrine is found somewhere in the book of Genesis. And the first thing we come across is separation. And you know, today, in this world we live in, the one thing people don't want to hear about is separation. They want to be saved and live like the world. And I just wonder what some of them have. Hey, listen, I'm a, I want to tell you something. Listen, grace doesn't say live any way you want to live. You don't use grace as an as excuse for the flesh. The Bible says the grace of God bringeth salvation hath appeared on all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So in our home, when we were raising our kids, we just didn't go any old place. And not only we didn't go any old place, we didn't bring it into our house. We didn't have computers back then. You didn't have all the, you know, the iPhones and all this stuff. 
But we not only didn't go out where it was, we didn't bring it in the house. Somebody had to stand in the gap. Somebody had to make up the hedge. And I'm the leader of the house. I'm the husband. And that was my job. It's just not going to be here in this house. This is going to be a safe place. This is going to be a clean place. This is a place that's sanctified. You know, over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about the parent that's saved and it sanctifies the home. You don't see the blood on your house, but God does. And that's a holy place, and we're supposed to live like holy people. Let me give you the last one. And, and remember, separation, listen, separation is staying away from things that will hurt you. It's not, well, I can't have any fun, and the kids can't have any fun, and we can't do anything, and we can't go anywhere. It's staying away from things that will hurt you. If they were good for you, God would let you have them. He's not punishing you. He's protecting you. The last one is this. Safety is not just the absence of danger, but it's the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. We need to have a hedge of prayer around our children. We need to have a hedge of separation. But we need to have a hedge of godliness. A hedge, think about this, a hedge of godliness. I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. I love to hunt. I've hunted all my life. Hunt and trap and fish. I love all that stuff. I could start my own Cabela store. I have more, my wife will just smile, I have more shirts, I have more insulated underwear, I have more parkas, I have more bibs, I have more boots, I have more hats, I have more gloves. I could outfit an army. If I was back in the Civil War when they used to outfit their own army, I could be the general and we could march off with all the clothes I have. Now here's something about insulation. People think you wear all these clothes to keep the cold out. You don't wear all these clothes to keep the cold out. You wear these clothes to keep the heat in. You with me? You're learning something. We do something called layering. You get this t-shirt that doesn't make you sweat. And then you get an insulated. And then you get a windbreaker. And then you put the parker on. And all these things are to keep the heat in. When you have these styrofoam cups, the inside of that cup has, Brother Brown's been buying me hot coffee. The inside of that cup has hot coffee, but you don't burn your hands on the outside. If you burn your hands on the outside, that cup isn't any good because the heat's escaping. Now, separation and it isn't just keeping all the sin out. It's keeping God in. You need to have your children and your home absolutely surrounded by godliness. I thank the Lord, I thank God for all the people in our life that have helped us and mentored us and encouraged us and blessed us and our children.
We have a lady in our church, and she's a teacher in our Christian school. My youngest son is the principal, been the principal 20-some years. She was his kindergarten teacher. And every graduation, here's my kindergarten teacher. We have another lady, Mrs. Bruin. And she had a super influence on my kids. The godliness. Let me borrow some kids. Who's asleep over there? Silas? Titus, come on up here. Who we got? Abigail? Who else is here? I just know a few names. How about Taylor's over there? She fall asleep? All right, you guys come on up here. I hope you love the children in the church. Jesus loves the little children. Amen? Come on up here. Right here. Come on up in here. All right. Preacher Brown, you come. Is your wife here? Come on up here. Assistant pastor, it happens to be mom and dad. Come on up here. How many people love the children in the church? Huh? Sure. Want these kids to grow up for the Lord? Don't want the devil to get them? Want them to live for God? Want them to serve God? Hey, you don't know what God can do with the children in this church. Next D.L. Moody might be in here. You don't know. Want to just come around here in a circle? Where's the deacons? We got any deacons? Bring the deacons up. Bring the deacons. Mrs. Deacon, come up. How about nursery workers? Some of you maybe had these kids in the nursery. Huh? Had, had an influence in their life? Just make a circle around here. Just make a big circle. Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, deacons, teen workers. Who we got? We got anybody else left? I'm missing anybody? Come on up here. Just make a circle around here and face these kids. Don't face them out there. Face these kids. You know, Hillary got criticized for saying it takes a village. And I know it takes a mom and a dad to raise children. But I believe, listen, I believe these children aren't just mom and dad's responsibility. I believe it's a church. And we need to have them in church every time the doors are open. And everything the church is doing in Sunday school and youth activities and whatever we can do. You want these kids everywhere they look, everywhere they turn, there's a hedge of godliness. And we need to pray, not just for the few I called on tonight, but all the kids in this church and all the kids in your family. We need to surround them with that hedge of godliness. My kids grew up with godly teachers, godly Sunday school teachers, godly nursery workers, just godly people in the church, old ladies in the church. And I believe that made all the difference. I believe that's why they're in the ministry. I believe that's why we're safe, because of that godliness. Lord, we love you tonight. I pray you look over us and our families and our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm done. You can sit down. Preacher, you stay.